1: Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. I'll say it again: we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. And we are Black Free Thinkers, but not the Kanye kind. And we have some more words regarding Kanye a little bit later on in this show. Uh, It's been a lot happening over the past couple of weeks. I didn't do a show last Sunday. And I actually was going to do a show Wednesday, Thursday of this past week. And then all of a sudden we started having these mass shootings. And we're going to talk about that. Um, We're going to talk about that. But let's talk about a few other things and we'll segue into that eventually. Uh so last show, toward the end of the show, I talk, I, I basically told you guys that I'm gonna be making a documentary. I'm gonna be filming it next year, and we are we're set to film next year. And I was asking for donations and actually a couple of donations came in. So I would like to thank the wonderful people. Who are listening and who sent in donations, um, we're still taking them. You can send us donations on PayPal. So you have paypal.me slash blackfreethinkers, one word, B-L-A-C-K-F-R-E-E-T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S. So paypal.me slash blackfreethinkers, all one word. And for the cash app, it's dollar sign Black Freethinkers, spelled all the way out with an S at the end. So dollar sign Black Freethinkers, if you want to send in donations that way. And thank you. I appreciate it. So, you know, we're really excited about this documentary, really excited about the format that, you know, I've put together, and the subject matter that we're going to be focused on. And I believe you'll be pleased. I believe you'll enjoy it. And I'm really looking forward to it. You know, we're starting to um, compile a list of people and organizations that we're going to uh, reach out to, to talk to them about some of the issues that are pertinent to the documentary. So just wanted to let you guys know that. Wanted to get that out of the way. Like I said, Raina, is always on my case about asking folks for donations to help fund some of the projects that I'm involved in. and I don't really care to do that, but I believe that this documentary um, needs to be made, and that's going to be expensive. So any donation, any amount will do. Thank you so very kindly, and every dime will be working and use towards the documentary. I already have some of the equipment. I'm looking at some of it now. And I will be purchasing more equipment. And for those of you that know, you know, the cameras and all of that stuff, none of that is cheap. And then also when you go to these different places, you have to stay there. So, you know, getting a room here, there, and the other place, all of that adds up. So and at the end, I will be more than happy to compile um, a sheet showing where every dime went. Don't have a problem with that. We have transparency around here. And, you know, again, you all know that when people do send donations into me, I take that money and I add to it and I give it away. And so for those, oh, yeah, I forgot. So for those of you that have um, participated in the Ronnie Man Christmas giveaway, we're starting to ramp up for the 2018. So you'll be seeing more information about that. And with this particular Christmas campaign, Ronnie, Ronald Johnson was a young man in Chicago that was murdered by the Chicago Police Department. I worked closely with his mom, Dorothy Holmes. And so this is the fourth annual one. So the last several years, the last few years, we've made donations. Last year, we sent in about 30 gifts, and these gifts are basically distributed to economically and educationally disadvantaged communities. You know, she goes to the schools there, and she makes sure that those children have gifts for Christmas. Some of those children, this will be the only gift that they receive. So, you know, and you don't necessarily have to buy anything that's on the list per se. You can always purchase something else and then just have the gift sent there. There are drop-off points, all of that information. Um, And once I have it all, I'll put it out on my pages so that you guys can see it. But, you know, Dorothy Holmes and, you know, what she's doing is absolutely wonderful. So I want to make sure that we support. Her again this year, and you know, make sure that those children are able to get the gifts. As a matter of fact, this year we are instilling a sponsorship package. So, for people that want to give $100 or more, you have the silver package, the gold package is $250 or more, and the platinum package is $500 or more. And there are perks and incentives that come from, you know, being official sponsors, and all of that information will be available really soon, but it's to a worthy cause. And also this past summer, they gave away school supplies for um, disadvantaged students. So, you know, they had a big old picnic for them. So, you know, Dorothy is doing a lot of constructive, positive work out there. Um, In memory of her son, who was murdered by the Chicago Police Department. So wanted to make sure you guys knew about that. Also, Fred Hampton, um, his childhood home was being foreclosed on or is being foreclosed on. They have a GoFundMe out there. Go and take a look look for it. You know, they received some monies in, but, you know, basically they want to go ahead and pay off the house. And turn the house into a museum. And so for those of you who aren't familiar, Fred Hampton was the chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. And there's a long history of that. And so I want to make sure that I put that information out there so that people will go and support and send some money their way. Because um, that's very important that we try to preserve that legacy, that we try to um, help these people and, and preserve that legacy, preserve that history. is very much so needed. And so I, I thank you guys, you know, for all of your support and supporting some of the campaigns and projects and programs that I support. And there are some out there that, you know, I haven't necessarily thrown my hat behind, but that doesn't mean that I disapprove of it. So, I just want to make sure that that's understood. If you don't hear me talking about it on a show, I either don't know about it or because I know other people are handling it. And plus, there are so many things happening out here with so many different people that it's kind of hard to keep up. And then also, we're trying to do the show, so I can't talk about everything and everyone. But, you know, if you feel it on your heart, you know, that you want to give and you want to, you know, you know, bring some positivity into someone's life by assisting them, please do so, you know, and and I just tell you to, you know, give what you can. No dollar amount is too small. No dollar amount is too big. But I love what Dorothy Holmes is doing. And as time goes on, we're hoping to develop and expand that particular project as well. So this is the first year for the sponsorship And so we're just asking you guys to just, you know, help out. So make a $110 donation. that's, That's the silver plan. And that helps us to know that we'll be able to have the funds in to make sure that we have all of these children covered so that they all will receive gifts of some sort and so, um, and she always posts pictures and all of that, so more information to come, and she does that in conjunction with Black Lives Matter Chicago, so I would be remiss if I did not mention Black Lives Matter Chicago and the very important role they play with Dorothy and the Ronnie Man projects that you know I talk about often, so I wanted to make sure that I announced that, and again, you know, for those that want to help support me. And, you know, I don't ask for money. I don't ask for anything. You know, I don't do that. But, you know, we will be filming the documentary next year. It's going to be expensive. I mean, that's just how it goes, right? And so, you know, most of my things are self-financed. If they're not self-financed, I do have people that that are... um, fiduciary sponsors of some of the things that I do, and I appreciate them. But, you know, I want to try to create an environment, try to create a project in which we all play a part and that you all help to enable to bring to the masses. So, again, you will not be disappointed. You definitely will not be disappointed in the documentary, and I thank you in advance, and I thank the people that have sent in donations, um, I sent you notes back to tell you thank you, so I do appreciate it. All right, so it's been a lot happening this past week. This past Tuesday, Professor El-Bashir um, at Illinois State University, um, she teaches a class there, and she invited me in to come and give a lecture to the young people that were part of her class. Um, Is Her class consists of 70, 79 young people. And I was able to go and I was able to give a talk. We talked about social justice, grassroots activism, community activism. We covered a number of topics. And what made it so beautiful, you know, for those of you that have been listening, We know that I don't really care to do public speaking very much. But if I could do it in a smaller setting like that with 79 people, you know, maybe a couple of hundred people in a smaller setting and we can set up the format in a way that's, um, you know, engaging and turns it into a positive experience for everyone there, I'm willing to do that. I enjoy doing that because it gives me the, the opportunity to talk to the audience, and it gives the audience the opportunity to talk to me in real time. And so, you know, um, I just prefer that particular format. So I like to call it prompts and responses, you know, and some people may call it the call, you know, just really depends on, you know, your mindset there, but it was beautiful. Got a really nice note from Professor Al-Bashir, um, Muslim American woman of color, and I thank her for the opportunity, and she knows that if she ever needs any of us, you know, to come out, we'll be more than happy to do so. So it was a positive experience, a lot of young minds. I saw the lights lighting up in her eyes. A few times there were a few people that were looking at me like I was an alien, and I get it, especially when we talked about whiteness. And I started talking about the hierarchy. Of whiteness, And so some of the white kids, I'm sure they were a little confused because this is something that they've never heard, something that they've never been exposed to. And I understand that because personally, I wasn't exposed to that. I didn't understand that until well into my adulthood. And I'm still learning about it. Right now. So for those of you that do not know about it or haven't heard about it, don't feel bad. This is a learning experience for all of us. That's one of the main reasons why I do this show. So as I learn, I come on the show and I talk to you guys about it because I'm excited about it. I want you to be excited about it too. Um, a young man that I know that um, had a conversation with him about three weeks ago, he said, Kim, you trick us. You sit us down a rabbit hole, and I'm like, yes, that is what I do, because I know when I send you to look for ABC, you're going to find LMNOP, and you're going to find XYZ as well, and that's going to cause you to research, and read, and learn, and do, and grow, and evolve. I'm like, isn't that wonderful? And he just laughed. It's <laughs> so again, I enjoy this show. I enjoy you guys. I enjoy the input that I receive back. I I enjoy watching a lot of you guys grow. I really do. You know, it brings me a lot of joy. It brings me a lot of happiness. And so, you know, what's so beautiful about right now, this present time in my life, I'm actually very, very happy, very happy, very content with where I am in life, um, the direction that I'm going in, the things that are happening. And, of course, you know, there are negative things. There are downsides to all of that. But I guess maybe because I'm a little bit older and I've gone through enough things, I'm just looking at these things a little differently. And so, um, you know, I think I've told you guys about, you know, someone in my family, my mother, um you know, who's battling cancer, you know, I moved back home to take care of her, right? And so, um, you know, I'm looking at it, while it's not the best situation in the world, you know, what's so beautiful about it is that I'm able to be here with her. I'm able to have these conversations with her. I'm able to get some questions answered. Some of those whys are being answered. And that's very important. And I also feel that it's extremely important for me and my mental health and, and, and my psychological health to be able to have those questions answered and understand the context of those particular situations. Because, again, when you're younger, when you're a child and you're a young adult, you don't necessarily understand all the dynamics that play into the decisions that your parents make. And so sometimes we grow up and we resent some of the decisions that were made because we didn't understand it. But now as an adult and and being able to sit down with her and have her explain why she made certain decisions, you know, and even though sometimes I may not like the answer at least I have an answer now. So I don't know. I just feel as though I'm growing as an individual. I'm growing as a human being, and I'm just at a much better, much healthier place. So I'm happy. I plan to stay that way, and we're looking toward the future, and we're moving toward the future. It's looking absolutely beautiful. It's a bright future, and I want you to come on and go with me. So we're going to do this, and we're going to do all of this together. So I just wanted to share that with you. But, yeah, the young people over at Illinois State University, Dr. El Bashir's class, I thank you guys for, you know, your thoughtful and wonderful questions. Um, Professor El Bashir sent me a note saying that you loved the format. You love the lecture. So that makes me feel good. It, it, it lets me know that I'm on the right track. So I thank you because you have no idea how much you all fed into me. And to see the bright smiling faces and the fact that you had no fear about raising your hand because there's no such thing as a stupid question. And there's no such thing as a stupid comment. You may not know. So it's our jobs to correct you and to educate you, but to do it in in a loving, kind way, you know. And and so I just want to let you know, you know, how much you mean to me and how much I appreciated you and enjoyed you and loved that experience. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of your lives. So, yay! So, <laughs> so yeah, but some sad news. Um, intozake Shange passed away. and For those of you that are familiar with her, she wrote for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. She passed away, um, they said peacefully in her sleep a couple of days ago. Um, Well, yesterday. Sorry, yesterday. And I just, you know, that was, I was devastated. Because she has such a positive impact on my life and a lot in the lives of a lot of women and girls that I know. And for those of you that went to see the movie, you know, that was directed by Tyler Perry, I still haven't seen that movie. And there are reasons why. And it doesn't have necessarily anything to do with Tyler Perry. It's just that that book was an excellent book. And there are parts of it that were extremely traumatic. And I don't know if I would be able to handle actually seeing those scenes. So that's the reason why I have not seen those movies. But but one of the things that um, um, Ms. Shange said, and this is a direct quote from her, she said, when I die, I will not be guilty of having left a generation of girls behind thinking that anyone can tend to their emotional health other than themselves. So I tweeted that out today, and, you know, what a beautiful tribute that she made to her particular legacy, that she purposefully put that legacy together and and built up, um, built up How can I put it? I'm trying to find the words, you know, that she wanted to build up the self-esteem, the knowledge of girls and women out there, letting them know that, you know, everything that they're looking for is inside of them. And I'm going to give you a few more quotes from her. And all right, so we've been doing bucket list stuff. I have, right? And so I was going to get my first tattoo in November, and at first it was going to be a James Baldwin quote, but I've changed my mind. I'm going to get this quote from Miss Shange, and this quote is quote Through my tears, I found God in myself, and I loved her fiercely. end quote And I'll repeat it: Through my tears, I found God in myself, and I loved her fiercely. Isn't that beautiful? so in and another quote from her is, "Where there is a woman, there is magic. If there is a moon falling from her mouth, she is a woman who knows her magic. who can share or not share her powers a woman with a moon falling from her mouth, roses between her legs, and tiaras of Spanish moths. This woman is a consort of the spirits. Another quote from her." One thing I don't need is any more apologies. I got sorry greeting me at my front door. You can keep yours. I don't know what to do with them. They don't open doors or bring the sun back. They don't make me happy or get a morning paper. Don't nobody stop using my tears to wash cars because of sorry. And my last one, I promise this is the last one. This last one is I loved you on purpose. I was open on purpose. I still crave vulnerability and close, and close talk. And I'm not even sorry about you being sorry. You can carry all the guilt and grime you want to. Just don't give it to me. I can't use another sorry. Next time, you should admit you're mean, low-down, trifling, and no count straight out instead of being sorry all the time. Enjoy being yourself. So... I just wanted to share a little bit of her writing with you, you know, and let you know that she had a tremendous impact on me and my life and some of my outlook on life. But as an older person reading her works now, it it means even more to me because now I have quite a bit of experience under my belt, so I kind of can understand the depths of her soul in which she reached into to pull this out to share with those of us and know you know she has not died in vain and, and i'm just glad that she left this legacy for you know the younger generations and other generations those of us that have looked up to her all of these years so my condolences to her friends and her family and those that loved her like i did so i just wanted to share that with you um Yeah, that was important for me to share with you. And so, um, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm going to talk about the next shows that I want to do because I mentioned one a couple of weeks ago on my last show. And I was talking about patriarchal white male dominated groups. And so I think my show next Sunday is going to be talking about why these particular groups are dangerous and why they are appealing to people, not only just young people, older people, but most importantly, why these particular groups are now finding an appeal in men of color. You have men of color joining these particular groups. And I want to talk about how the alt-right, white supremacist, white nationalists have found a soft place to land in many of these communities, you know, and that includes Christianity, you know, that includes atheism, includes, you know, the satanic community, and just a number of them, and they found a soft place to land. And the question is, why? So if you go on my page, on my personal Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash blackfreethinkers.com. You know, you can always look up Kimberly Veal and you'll see a picture that says unapologetically black. That's my, right? So if you want to Facebook friend me, you can go ahead or you can follow me, whatever works for you. But I put in, oh yeah, all of my all of my posts are open. I don't put anything down on Facebook that I'm not willing to have open to the public. And so um I put up a thread, they were having this panel discussion on C-SPAN 3, and they were specifically talking about Christianity and the alt-right. And so I put a few things up there, a thread about Odinism, well, it's one long thread, but I put some links up, and just go and take a look. Take a look, and, you know, this is becoming an issue. You know, you have... These particular people, they're even threatening to take over paganism, which is interesting, and I believe I have an article about that in there. But I want to talk about these specific groups, how they're being taken over, and and, and, and not necessarily, when I say taken over, I'm not saying that they're just flooding the place and it's just going to be all white supremacists, A, B, C, D, and E. What I'm saying is they're taking over to a point where they're becoming extremely influential and especially influential at susceptible minds. And when I say that, the reason why I love young susceptible minds is because I've seen some older men being sucked into that particular vortex. And there are a couple of occasions we can't figure out what the hell happened. And we don't know how this happened but they're being hurt and they're being sucked into this. And so we need to have that discussion, and I plan to do so. And eventually, probably, maybe the next week after that or a couple of weeks after that, I'm going to talk specifically about white supremacy in the church. And You know, it's not only going to talk about the alt-right influence that's there now. The entire history, well, not the entire history because we only have so much time, but I'm going to talk about racism and its roots in the white church, okay? So, I'm specifically going to talk about white Christianity, the white church, and the history of, uh, you know, white supremacy. Let me make a note here. Um. So I can make sure, you know, that um, we take care of all of that. Because even when I talk about that, I got to remember to make a point about how in the days of Jim Crow and even before, how when the white supremacists wanted to make sure that they got a message to the black communities how they would nail it to the church doors, nail those messages to the church doors. And there's a history of that. And so we'll get to all of that. And so yes, 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 I know good fun stuff, right, people? And <laughs> uh it's interesting because when I posted the link for today's show, in the link I put in, well in the show notes, I call them why people, W H Y P I P O as opposed to white people. And, you know, someone put, what the hell, you know, white people, you know, WTH. And one of the reasons is because over the years when we would refer to white people in many cases, people would report the thread or report the tweet, and you'll end up in Facebook or Twitter jail just because we had opinions that, you know, tap danced over somebody's white fragility. And what some of you don't understand is that they have these whisper, these inbox campaigns, these message campaigns, in which they will message a whole bunch of folks and tell everyone to report that threat or to report your profile as being problematic in some way. And so then by the time, you know, Facebook catches up, you're in Facebook jail sometimes they leave you in Facebook jail. As a matter of fact, I had a post this past week reported, and I disputed it, and immediately they released it because the threat was from CBS News. And so it was reported as hate speech and spam and all of that because it critiqued white people. And one of the reasons why I say white people is because a lot of white people like to waste our time asking questions like, why this? Why that? And, you know, good and damn well, why? And so instead of taking any accountability or responsibility for making these remarks, you know, helping to perpetuate, you know, a lot of these policies and laws that harm, you know, marginalized communities, instead of taking responsibility and trying to change structural racism. You just like to boggle us down with a whole bunch of why questions. And a couple of weeks ago, I was, I couldn't remember a term that I wanted to speak on. It's called sea lioning, S-E-A-L-I-O-N-I-N-G. Go look that up. And, you know, this is what happens to many of us when we talk about race, and you have these so-called good whites wanting to ask a bunch of questions as opposed to educating themselves and using Google to find out the answers to their questions. So um, I'm just letting you know that that is why that is there. And, you know, that that's what's happening. Now, what's interesting is, you know, and I'm going to talk about what happened this week. Don't think that I'm not going to get to that. But you have 45 calling himself a nationalist, proudly calling himself a nationalist. And for those of you out there that are are telling us that we, you know, have misguided conceptions of him or, you know, misguided opinions or, you know, we're misunderstanding who he is. I don't know how many more examples you need. You know, see, this is the thing. Patriotism is when you love your country. Nationalism is when you hate everyone else. There's a difference. And I need for you to understand that. And he knows exactly what he's saying, and he knows he's playing to his base. He knows who he's appealing to. You know, he knows he's, he's signaling to them who he is. And, you know, what upsets me about all of this is that this past week and they had a lot of young black conservatives, and not all of them were young. You had some people there, right there at 29, 30 years of age. That's not young. You know better, or you should know enough to know better. And so he had them at the White House, and I was looking at some of the comments, and some of them were saying, you know, he's at least he's opening the house to, you know, the White House to black people. Black people have been in and out of that White House for years. A number of presidents opened it up to black people. So, you know, I'm not sure where you're getting that information from. But, you know, it kind of turned my stomach. But the reason why I can't necessarily (laughs) sit here and totally fault them is because for those of you that know my history and those that don't, I used to be a young black Republican. So I understand the mindset and I understand the reasons and I understand them not having certain bits of information. And even now, I'm still learning about certain things because of some, you know, preconceptions that I have in my mind regarding certain subject matters. You know, I'm trying to learn more. So, you know, when you learn better, you do better. And I'm trying to educate myself to better understand the situations and and what helped to create a particular situation or an environment or situation. So, you know, I am an autodidact. So I do a lot of reading, which is one of the reasons why sometimes I know some of you are like, how is she mispronouncing that word? That's what happens when you read a lot. (coughs) Excuse me. When you read a lot, reading these words much differently than saying them. And so when you're not around people who say certain words, you read it a certain way, and I know some people are like, well, why don't you go to dictionary.com? Yeah, we do that, but that doesn't mean that the word is going to stick, so that's why I don't make fun of people who mispronounce words, because in a lot of cases, I know they read a lot, and so, you know, I just thought I'd share that with you, but I mean, I tease myself about, you know, mispronouncing words, but going back to the young black conservatives, um, you know, at one point in time, I was drinking a Kool-Aid, and even now, there are some things that I'm sure I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on. And, you know, I've had people correct me, I've had people send me information. I'm still reading and learning. And, you know, and some things I had to learn the hard way. And that's all of us. And so they're gonna they're gonna learn some things and they're gonna learn the hard way. I mean, I had my nigger moments. And what I mean by that is I had moments in which I thought that I was just the shit, you know, and that I had earned my way, and, and and that this was deserved, and only to be disappointed and cut down the sides and reminded of who I am and where my place was. And it didn't matter how good I was. It didn't matter how much I knew. It didn't matter who I knew. It just wasn't going to happen, you know, and so it's just really interesting. Um, The young people were asking me about situations in which I had one of those moments. So I talked about, you know, when I was a consultant and how I was turned down for a job that they gave to a young white man who didn't know a thing about that particular subject matter. And it was a slap in the face, you know. But I guess the best example that I should have given them, but I I didn't think of it at the time, was in high school when we moved back to a predominantly white town. And I wanted her to check on my application to a particular university that I knew I had been accepted to, but I needed for her to get the paperwork to apply for a particular scholarship. And she said she had never heard of that particular scholarship and refused to call. And then turned around and asked me if I knew how to sing and dance because my people are generally really good at that. So that was another nigger moment right there. Just thought I'd share that with you. So it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that I heard um, someone in the class brought up, Kanye, and with this particular group of young Black conservatives, that went to the White House, people were talking about the Kanye effect. And Kanye is making, does have an effect. He's making an impact. So, you know, I would say keep an eye on that. I'm not saying one way or the other how to deal with it. That's up to you. But what I'm saying is don't sleep on this. And so, you know, just looking at everything that's happening, um, you know, I was reading a thread on somebody's wall, John Jeter, and he was talking about he had spoken to his sister. And basically his sister told him that the whites who support Trump are going to be as disappointed as the blacks who supported Obama. You know, and the same thing is going to happen to the blacks that support Trump and some of the whites, you know, that supported Obama. That's, that's how it is. But he gave a quote. He said, hell is that place where, by design, no one's needs are met by John Paul Sark, right? So, and so I just thought I'd share that with you. Two weeks ago, I talked about um, what was happening across the country with people having a hard time um registering to vote and getting to the polling place and being told that they had been dropped. And I gave the number, I said one eight hundred R vote. That was wrong. My apologies. It's eight six six R vote. Again eight six six R vote. And you have people across the country reporting that they voted for one person and then it was switched. And you have these people making excuses, saying people were pushing the buttons too fast, and that's why the votes were switching around. Basically, it all boils down to this. Before you sign off totally on that vote and have it print up, confirm that the votes that, you know, the people that you checked are still checked. So that way you'll be able to confirm it. You'll be able to go back. You'll be able to make sure it's who you wanted it to be. And like I said, just keep an eye out on that. For those, you know, for some places, you can actually register to vote all the way up to the date when you get to the polling place in some places. Find out about the laws in your area. And for those that have been purged from the voting rolls, um, in, in I believe in most cases, You can go in and you can get that provisional ballot, you know, and and also you can demand a receipt to go with that. You know, I think I mentioned that on the last show, but I think I said uh, a paper ballot and a paper receipt. (sighs) This is what happens when you don't write the stuff down, right? So I have it written out, so this way I had the correct information to give to you all today. So um, it's been interesting. You know, I posted an article in which, you know, you had black women talking about medical bias, the medical system, and how they were scared to have children. And it talked about how, you know, a lot of black women died during childbirth. Just go back and read that. You know, read those articles. Um, One of the biggest names that went through that was Serena, Serena Williams. And so I just thought I'd bring that up. And I know you're like, oh, she didn't get to the subject matter first today. Yeah, I switched back a little bit today because these are some things I definitely wanted to get off of my chest and bring your attention to before I move forward. I posted an article talking about how the Mexicans are showering the the car- mm-hmm. Bands with water and medicine and tarps and food and things that they need. And that's a great thing because these Central Americans are making a hell of a trek to get to America. And there are those of you out there that are angry about this, but you need to understand what happened there. It's because of our policies. They created instabilities in their country. They're coming here because we created that instability. So the violence And the corruption and all those things that they're running from, we played a part in that. So please understand what's happening here. Uh, You have 45 saying that he's going to declare martial law and send the military down there. As a matter of fact, troops are headed down there now. Look it up. And so, so yeah, we're going to segue into the So let me read the notes that I wrote down for the show today. Um, This is something that you all can see as well. So I said, please join us Sunday as we discuss a number of topics. And I said here, some white people are seriously slipping into darkness and attacking our communities. This has been a common occurrence in black communities, and we weren't believed. However, it seems to be escalating and more targeted. We can no longer sit back and watch as this continues to happen. Some of you will say that we've seen times such as this before and made it through it. What about the people and families who were hurt, harmed, and killed? Are you negating their experiences because it didn't happen to you? How have your prayers and faith stopped any of these acts of terror? Do you truly believe that your faith, resolve prayers, positive thoughts, good vibes, etc., work to stop people from harming and killing us? What's next? Why must we forgive those who mean, nothing, who mean us nothing but harm? What do we get from allowing people to continue to transgress against us? Why do some of us run to the first camera available to publicly forgive someone who doesn't think twice about harming us? Many don't want our forgiveness, but we insist anyway. Why is it that when white people do irreparable harm to black people, the first thing they do is send for our pastors? When this type of harm, irreparable harm, is done by white people to other white people, they don't call for the pastor. Why is that? Right? Why is that? I actually really want you all to think about that. Why are they always calling for the pastor? Why are we automatically you know, automatically expected to forgive them. I remember when the massacre took place in South Carolina with that white supremacist domestic terrorist, um, Dylan Roof, um, Al Sharpton and all them, you know, parading those black families on television to say that they forgive Dylan Roof. We don't have to forgive shit. And we need to stop forgiving these racists. I mean, they do this, these things, these acts with impunity. And we forgive them. And then they commit the same crime over and it even worse atrocities. And we're constantly forgiving them. We don't owe them shit. You know, as a matter of fact, there was an article that I posted, Dear Black People, Stop Forgiving Races. You know, and I'll read a little bit of that to you later. It's another article that I posted, White People Owe Us an Apology, But We Don't Owe Them Forgiveness. And that was on Huffington Post. You know, and who we? There's a lot to unpack here. And we only have so much time, but it doesn't help when you have white people and some blacks, but primarily white people romanticizing the past. And when I when I talk about white people, I'm not just talking about white Republicans. I'm talking about all of you. And we've I've, I've talked I've said this over and over on the show. You know, white progressives, white liberals, white moderates, what have you. You're just as culpable, if not more so. And my stance is all white people are racist. And you have to unlearn and deprogram yourself. You have to do some work. Just because you can listen to us and recapitulate our talking points on demand, that does not make you woke. And I hate that damn term. And there are some of you who are walking around here thinking that you're woke and you're not. And you have some black people that will get behind you and say that you are woke because you're nice to them. Look, racism, structural racism has nothing to do whether you like someone or whether you dislike someone, whether they're polite, civil, or kind to you. You have people, white people that are racist that are married to black folks. You have white people that are racist that have mixed children. So it's not about kindness or civility or politeness. And I really could go in on that, but you'll have to reel me back out. So, again, I'm talking to all of you. And there are some of you out here that are doing the work, and I commend that. You know, and you're asking questions, and you're reading the books, and you're holding yourself accountable. And then there are some of you that are even holding the people around you accountable. So your friends and your families that make racist comments. That's wonderful. This is what you should have been doing all along. And continue to do that, because if you cannot call out and question the people that directly impact you, the people that are around you, how am I supposed to believe that you're doing any work, that you're making any progress? It makes a difference. And while all of this is happening, you still have these white supremacist police officers that are walking around, they're still killing black and brown men and women, boys and girls, killing them in cold blood. But somehow they're able to take white mass shooters, white supremacists, white nationalists, they're able to take them alive. But they're still killing Pookie and Ray Ray for having a cell phone or a hairbrush in their hands. And nine times out of 10, they have absolutely nothing in their hands. I need you to think about that. And what's interesting is you have black and white people out here that are trying to convince us that there is absolutely no correlation between the hate speech that we see, you know, conveyed and espoused daily. They're trying to convince us that there is no correlation between the hate speech and violence. And there is. And so, you know, Jamel Bowie, you know, who's a great writer, wrote an article, and the article was titled, What Gave Us Donald Trump Gave Us Dylan Roof. That is absolutely 100% correct. And there was another article that was published in the Washington Post yesterday, and the title of this article is, Trump denounces hate-fueled violence. Critics say he's at the root of it. And this was written by David Nakamura. So Trump denounces hate-fueled violence. Critics say he's the root of it by David Nakamura, and the article by Jamel Bowie is titled, What Gave Us Donald Trump Gave Us Dylan Rudeau. All right, and so there is a direct correlation between the hate speech and the violence. And so it was a couple of people on Twitter, um, this one particular um, poster named Man in a Hoodie, He stated, the difference between the Trump administration and ISIS is that ISIS accepts responsibility for the attacks it inspires. And what's interesting is I posted an article on my wall that was talking about the FBI considers white nationalism as much of a threat as ISIS. And when I posted it, I made a little snarky comment and saying, I don't know if I believe this. And on, on, on the Black Free Thinkers page, I think I put seriously question mark. And, you know, so just a little snarky comments because, see, this is the thing. They can say whatever the hell they want to say. On a book, it says that all men are created equal, but their actions don't necessarily reflect this. That's the problem. When you hear some of these people, especially some of these libertarians, that will try to say, well, what does the Constitution say? What does that law say? And then try to say, well, it says it on the book, so it is that. And try to tell us that racism doesn't exist or racism is illegal because it's written on this piece of paper. It's not quite that simple because their actions do not reflect this. They are not enforcing these laws and these policies. And and not only just in the United States, we're talking globally. And I remember talking a little bit about what's happening over in Europe and their libertarian stances, which have made their way to America. They were already here, but when you put 45 in office, you're seeing the influence that those particular um, politicians have had on the thinking of people like 45 and Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller, you know, and again, people get upset with me when I post news from other countries. It's important that you read that and you understand that. And it's important that you all read newspapers from other countries, to kind of understand the fuckery that's coming our way because, see, it ain't fully here yet. We're getting a little snippets, but it's coming. Some of you are saying, can it get any worse than this? Yes, honey, it's coming. Understand that. And so, you know, keep that in the back of your mind. And so, you know, what's happening this week is, again, you know, You have people out here scapegoating the mentally ill, you know, and trying to say, oh, these people are mentally ill. No, mentally ill people are more likely to do harm to themselves than others. And they're especially not going to run into a room room full of people, you know, and, and do this. And so, no, stop that. Stop it you know, it's interesting because you have these people out here refusing to call these white supremacists, alt-right, white nationalist terrorists. That's exactly what they are. And you have people out here trying to minimize and reduce the violence behind these acts of terror. And they're full of shit. These people know exactly what they're doing and why. They know who they support. They know who they're influenced by, and they know why they're doing it, and they're targeting folks. And what's interesting, you know, we have all of these different studies and surveys and, you know, about racism. They've studied us all the way down to our toenails. And, okay, fine, you know, that happens, but why aren't we studying white supremacy? Maybe they are. Maybe I missed the syllabus. Someone can send me a syllabus or a syllabi or some or something classes, you know, the links to some classes in which they're studying white supremacy, I would love to see that. You know, I haven't gone out here to look, but I'm going to do that after this show so I can find out, you know, and see what's happening out here. But um, like I said, you got these folks out here that are pulling these stunts, and you have folks out here, you know, that do not want the law looking at these white people and looking at how a lot of this came to be. And I'm looking for a tweet that I wanted to read you um, that someone that um, actually was written by Sherilyn Ifill. And I can't find it. I hate when I do this, but um, it's talking specifically about these racist killings and the different laws that are overturned. Here's one from Kimberly Crenshaw and says he was unfolding racist killings, laws overturned, protections withdrawn, votes stolen, allies threatened, bloodlust unleashed, white supremacy rising, liberals on the run, eighteen eighties all over. We got to step up big because this ugly will only get worse. And we've seen how this ends. So, you know, Dr. Kim Crenshaw put that out. And she also said this. This week alone, one racist attempts to kill black churchgoers, succeeds in murdering two elders at Kroger's. Another attempts to kill a dozen Democratic leaders, and the third kills, well, she had eight, but it's actually 11 people. In a Pittsburgh synagogue, be outraged by them all. See this for what this is. You know, and I'm going to talk about Vicki Jones and Maurice Stallard. I'm going to talk about them, and I cannot find that tweet from um, Miss Ifill. I hate that. But it was along the same lines of what Kimberly Crenshaw said right here. And so I wanted to read that to you guys so that you can get a better understanding of what's happening and, and, and the information that's out here and that you really need to pay attention to. And so, you know, minimizing white supremacy, you know, this is what's happening. 45 is basically trying to minimize the white supremacy behind these acts of terror by basically telling folks to arm themselves and that if they were to arm themselves, that it would prevent and deter the danger. And That's the wrong answer, and he's also talking about bringing back the death penalty, and we've talked about the death penalty you know in the 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 prison system, you know, our criminal justice system, and how it's biased you know, and there are people that have been killed, black and brown people that have been killed that didn't commit the crime that they were killed for so anyway let's 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 kind of dive into this. Because you know this this past week, you know in America, you know you have had two black people killed, you know in well basically in a in a grocery store. One was inside, the other one was outside in a parking lot. This happened in the suburbs of Louisville, Kentucky, and we had that happen. You know you saw the mail bombs targeting all of these people. Maxine water said, "I ain't scared." I love Maxine. I mean, as far as like that is concerned, Um, you know, we want to get into the conversation about the black political class and how they deceived us in a lot of ways. You know, and that's a totally different story, but I love her resolve by saying that she's not scared. You know, sometimes you have to let people know that you're not scared of them in the bullshit that they bring, right? And then the mass shooting at the Pittsburgh synagogue. And so it's talking about how, you know, people in this country are on edge. We've been on, black folks, we've been on edge for a while. And that's the reason why we're doing this show today. Because I need for black people, I need for the black community, I need for the black church to be vigilant. You know, be vigilant in what's happening here. Because, again, I wrote the notes for this show before the the mass shooting at the synagogue. And that was very targeted. And in that particular case, the, you know, white supremacist domestic terrorists stated that the, in that particular synagogue, they were helping refugees, Muslim refugees come into this country. And he was angry about that, but we'll get back to that. So what happened in Kentucky is you had this white supremacist domestic terrorist walk into the Kroger grocery store, but before he got to the Kroger grocery store, he stopped by a black church, and he was pulling on the doors and banging on the doors for them to let him in, and they didn't, and they had members out in a parking lot getting in their cars. And they saw him, and they had just locked the doors because about an hour and a half before he arrived, you know, they had some type of gathering or meeting at that church. And so I'm going to assume that the doors were open at that time, but they had just secured the doors. So he left that particular church, I think his first Baptist church, and he went over to the Kroger's. He walked inside of the Kroger's and shot Maurice Stallard. In the back of his head. Now, Maurice Stallard and Vicki Jones are the victims of this, you know, white supremacist domestic terrorist. And these are two black senior citizens. You know, Maurice Stallard was at the store, brought his grandson with him because he needed to buy a poster board for a school project for the 12 year old young man. And basically, he got shot in the back of his head. His grandson ran out of the store screaming for help, right? And so, you know, um, a, um, a man saw the boy because the boy ran towards him, and he grabbed the young man by his hand and took him to the car, and they called the boy's mother and, and you know, trying to get a hold of the boy's mom, and the man said he could see the fear in the boy's face. And that he just held the boy the whole time. You know, and he said he can still hear the boy screaming and yelling, and it keeps replaying in his head. And the domestic terrorist, white supremacist who killed Vicki Jones and Maurice Stollard, confronted by another white man, and then out comes the comment, whites don't kill whites. And he was taken by the police alive not even a scratch on him begging for his life Miss Vicky Jones he killed her in the parking lot and we're not seeing a lot of press coverage about this story why is that so i posted a video on my wall um you know showing you you what happened there, you know, and, and, well, not the actual video of it, but, you know, talking about why is it that this story isn't getting the, the coverage of the other stories, right? And so we're starting to see more mass shootings targeting places of worship. And this is why I'm telling the black community, the black church, to be vigilant, very vigilant, because I'm more than positive that a number of these white supremacists domestic terrorists will tell you that they're good Christians, which is why I feel that we need to do that show specifically targeting white, the history of white Christianity and, and white supremacy and how it's tied together based on fear and oppression and power, control All of those things. Now, for those that have been following the show and know who I am, you know, I when over the years, my thoughts and my opinions on the church, particularly the black church, they've evolved. And one of the reasons why I do not... Condemn and come against the black church, the way some people feel that I should, is because I am and was, am was kind of right there, um, of the opinion that the black church is the last vestige of protection and shielding from white supremacy. Now I don't necessarily believe that anymore. And I know you're like, how can you have that thought when you just talked about how white Christianity, you know, how the very basic foundation of it is steeped in, you know, fear and oppression and control and white supremacy? Well, the black church used to be a place of protection. It still is to a certain degree. But if you go back and you look at some recent events You know, it's shown us even more and more how this is no longer true. And I know some of you are like, well, wait a minute. Didn't they bomb black churches in the 60s and the 50s and even before and after? Yes. Those were targeted murders, targeted killings. You know, and it's still happening. And, you know, one example that I like to show people is Charlottesville when you saw the white supremacists pretty much running roughshod over the clergy. And there were clergy of all different ethnicities, races, denominations out there. And we saw clergy members being evacuated in the middle of interviews because they were being attacked. And we're starting to see more targeting of black churches. The black church that um, that white supremacist domestic terrorists targeted In the outskirts of Louisville, they had about 70 people in attendance before he got there. Can you imagine? He had an AR 15? Can you imagine? Had he gone into that black church and mowed down 70 people and not gave a damn? So you know what I'm saying is churches and synagogues, you know, and not only that, even what happened with the six um, up in Milwaukee when they attacked them, and there are many, many more examples. So I don't want anyone to feel left out. You know, it's just too many to name right now. But you are coming under an imminent threat, and you know they these. White men are are clear and present danger, so you need to be careful. And what's even more disheartening is when you see some black and brown men and women and young folks agreeing with these white supremacists and joining ranks with them. It's disappointing. And it makes you wonder what's next and who is going to be. And so you have people out here, you know, trying to say that these are false flags. Um, in the case of the MAGA bomber, they're trying to say, Well, no, those stickers were too new, they should have been bent up and and curling and all of no. No, 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 You know, and, and, you know, what happened at that synagogue, you know, because I saw an interview um, with someone that was involved in another mass shooting at another synagogue. It was the one that took place in California. And from what the news is saying, that this particular massacre that took place yesterday at that Pittsburgh synagogue, that it was the worst mass shooting of a synagogue or of Jewish people in the United States history, you know, and there have been four other times that, you know, Jewish people were targeted. You know, there was one in 1999 at the Los Angeles Jewish Community Center, and that happened on August 10th, 1999. You know, um, nobody died, And um, the person who did this, of course, was a neo-Nazi white supremacist, right? You can go and look that up for yourself. There was another shooting in 2006 at a Seattle Jewish Federation, right? And that happened July 28th. One person died. And in this case, it was a Muslim who said he was angry at Israel You know, and and there was another one in 2009 at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum that happened June 10th, 2009. One person died. It was a neo-Nazi white supremacist. And then you had one that took place in 2014 at the Overland Park Jewish Community Center, August 13th, 2014. And three people died. And... The shooter was a neo Nazi white supremacist. And now you have Pittsburgh, where you have a neo Nazi white supremacist. They killed 11 people. This is why it's important for us to work together and to combat. You know, all of this racism, xenophobia, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, all of this. And because this took place in a place of worship, you know, they're, they're calling it, you know, a terror attack. Why isn't it a terror attack about Mr. Stallard? And Ms. Jones. And so, you know, you have this person, this white supremacist domestic terrorist mailing packages with pipe bombs in them. To everybody. Everybody. Not everybody, but everybody. And some of you that are out there that are very well-known activists better be vigilant. Because, you know, again, you have some people that are trying to say that there is no correlation between the hate speech and the violence. They're lying to you. And, um, you know, some of the most vitriolic rhetoric that I've seen, just angry. And people don't want to talk about it. And people don't want to say it. But at this point in time, the biggest threat to national security in the United States are angry white men. Oh, right. But then they want to make excuses. Oh, well, this person is mentally ill. And then trying to scapegoat mentally ill trying to say that they shouldn't have the right to have guns, while at the same time taking away provisions that will prevent certain violent, mentally ill people from getting guns. How can, I just, I don't understand the logic here. But again, in many cases, they are scapegoating the mentally ill because, again, they are more likely to harm themselves than other folks. So let's make sure we understand that. And then they want to say, oh, well, this just is a misunderstood kid or a misunderstood person. Misunderstood. Hmm. Oh, that's an individual. Don't blame the entire community because of that particular person. Well, that's not what you do when you talk about Chicago or when you talk about Ray Ray or Pookie. You blame all black people. All brown people. All of a sudden, all brown people are a part of, of a violent gang. And oh, yeah, you can't forget the people in that violent gang and Middle Easterners are in the middle of the caravan, according to you, to 45. And that's a damn lie. So he's stoking your fear, stoking your anger. And what's happening is it's is, is triggering folks some people, some of these heinous crimes. And the thing is, is, that this is not new. This has always been there. He just ripped the scab off of it, which is why they're saying <laughs> that he's in the middle of all of this. This is one of the reasons why, you know, they're writing these particular articles saying that he's at the root of all of this. You know, but again, you know, he's a symptom. And this has always been here. But with the technology, we're able to get this information in real time, as opposed to everybody calling each other or writing a letter. We're seeing it as it happens in some cases. And so you have these people going out here and acting on their hate. And the reaction of forty-five is less than subpar. I mean, to be honest with you, when I saw him giving a press or well, a couple of press conferences, and the same thing with Jeff Sessions, to me, it looked like they were doing everything in their power not to laugh. It looked like they were joyful and happy. But that was just my interpretation of their responses and their behavior. Maybe I missed something. and many others. And someone wrote to me, someone tweeted at me, you know, where are the white evangelical Christians. Why haven't they put out statements about this? That's a good damn question. I mean, Pat Robertson, you know, has something to say about everything else. We're getting hurricanes and tornadoes and all of these things because gay people want to get married because black people want equal rights. Black people want to be free. Because some of us out here feel that capitalism is inextricably tied to racism. Some of us out here know the ill effects of capitalism and why we reject people like Bezos and Gates Saying that they're going to implement these programs in our communities, knowing that the the reason why these people acquired their their wealth is because of people that they oppressed, because of the slave wages, because of the oppression. So you acquired your wealth by harming and hurting all of these other people. Now you want to take some of your money and bring it back into the communities, but dictate how certain things are done. How does that work? That's just me. So let me get back to the mail bombings, to the MAGA bomber. You know, and, you know, these these packages were sent to, you know, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Barack and Michelle Obama, Joe Biden, Maxine Waters, John Brennan. Um, did I say Joe Biden? Joe Biden is right here. Um, Robert De Niro, you know, and they were bouncing back to Wasserman Schultz. I forget her name, her first name. Because they used her address as the return address. And what's interesting about the white supremacist, domestic terrorist, that mailed all of these packages, these pipe bombs, is he worked for this one white woman. It was an interview on CNN. Raina called me up saying, are you seeing this shit on CNN? I was like, no. And so I turned over to it, right? And I'm watching it, and she posted it as as well. And it was a white woman who hired the white domestic terrorist, white supremacists, right? She hired him to do the deliveries for her, but she stated that he could only do deliveries at, at night in which he would have no contact with certain customers. And, 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 you know, she hired him, but in while she was hiring him, he would talk to her and he would tell her that she was going straight to hell because she was LGBTQ. And so Raina and I are sitting here talking about it, and we're both confused because we're like, wait a minute, how the hell you hire someone who's telling you you're going to hell because you're LGBTQ, so he's homophobic as well as racist, but he's telling you things and you're paying him money to tell you you're going to hell. That is white privilege. Would you even consider hiring Ray Ray and Pookie or me because I have dreadlocks? But you hired him, and he was abusive to you. So you hired him to abuse you. You hired him even though you knew your clients would not approve of him if they were to see him in daylight. If that's not white privilege squared, I don't know what the hell it is. You know, for a while, I am sitting there looking at the guy, and I was like, is he Cuban? And he was trying, you know, some people were trying to say that he was part of an indigenous tribe. And that particular tribe came out and wrote a statement like, "Uh uh-uh, he's not one of us. And, you know, and what's interesting, I've had some interactions, some very negative racist interactions with some white identified Cubans. And so have a number of my friends. You know, and so... I still don't know what the dude is, but he's white identified, whatever the fuck he is. But he's sending out these packages and there are pictures of him all over the place in his MAGA hat, video of him at you know at, at the at, at the rallies. What the hell? And then, you know, he sent one to George Soros too. And I believe the one that they sent to George Soros made it all the way into the house. know if George was home or not, but it made it inside the house. And he left his fingerprints on the one that he sent to Maxine Waters. That's how they were able to trace him, because he has a criminal background. He has a vast criminal history. And so again, you have these folks trying to say that these were false flags because the the Republicans were gaining in the polls, and this is way this 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 allowed the news coverage to be on something other than you know the the great and mighty Republican victory that's at hand, right huh and even the statement that forty five made in regards to what happened at that synagogue. It looked forced. And you could tell someone had written those statements for him. I find it interesting if put out this little statement, you know, regarding what happened at the synagogue. Ain't nobody got nothing to say about Miss Vicki Jones and Mr. Maurice Stallard? Really? Not a word. Not a damn word. Something somewhere. Somebody? No? Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm expecting too much. My friends tell me all the time that I give people way too much credit and that I expect too much from people. You know, and apparently... With this particular white supremacist domestic terrorist that sent out the mail bombs, apparently he had been reported on Twitter by a woman of color who talked about, you know, how dangerous his tweets were, and nothing was done. She had reported him. With this white supremacist domestic terrorist that shot up the synagogue, He said that he was tired of waiting and that he was going in. He was tired of waiting on everybody else. So he acted on his hate. And while all of this is happening, you have Trump and Pence and a number of them still making these comments about George Soros stating that he's funding a lot of, you know, that he's funding the caravans and, and, and a lot of the resistance. Now, I'm no fan of Soros at all, but I don't think anyone should be sending him no damn pipe bombs. I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking at this the wrong way. You know, and even his old boss the woman that paid him to abuse her, you know, this is the white supremacist domestic terrorist in Florida sending out the pipe bombs. She basically stated that he commented that he wished that we could go back to the Hitler days, you know, and and she said she said that he was, you know, always talking about his Native American heritage. But the tribe said, he's no, he's none of us, he's not part of us, he's not on the roll. <sighs> so Yeah. What do you do? Because so now you can't even, you know, shop while black. Can't go to the damn grocery store. This fool walked up to Mr. Stallard and shot him in the back of the head. Just plain walked up to him. And shot him in the back of the head. When he was with his 12-year-old grandchild. And shot him several more times as he was on the ground. You know, shooting him in the back of the head wasn't enough. Then he went outside, and that's when he shot and killed that black woman, Vicky Jones. And that this guy said whites don't kill whites as he walked by. I thought it was when he was confronted by another white man. But you got another account saying that the guy just walked by and just said it very, in a very nonchalant way. how does this work? The white supremacist, domestic terrorists in Pittsburgh said all Jews must die. What more do you want? When are you going to stand up? When are you going to stop forgiving these folks? they're going to keep doing it over and over and over because they're being allowed to do it with impunity. You know, since 1982, you know, and 54% of these mass shootings have been committed by white men. Right? Can't go to the movies. Can't go to prayer service. Can't go to the grocery store. Can't ride the train. Can't follow your mom around the, you know, around the bodega without having a white woman accuse you, a nine-year-old little boy, accusing a nine-year-old little boy of sexually assaulting her. Teresa Klein, out of New York, video showed his, his backpack rubbed up against her, but not before she terrorized him and his little sister and his mother. And that little boy had enough guts to say he didn't forgive her. Then his mama dragged him on TV, and now was said, Now he's saying he forgives her. I wonder what kind of talk they had with him. If you don't forgive her, God won't forgive you, and we want to go to heaven. And you can't go to heaven if you don't forgive her. Stop forgiving these racists. Because it's not going to stop their behavior. And they don't give a shit if you forgive them or not. As a matter of fact, I think most of them laugh at you. That's that white entitlement. You know, they come up with these excuses. Oh, you're having sex with our women. You're taking our jobs. You know, um... You know, you're know, you taking everything from us. You're taking our power. You're breeding too many babies. All of these things. As though being at the top rung of the ladder, being in power, having all the money, being in control, it's like many of them feel that it's their birthright, that manifest destiny that we talk about. And when they lose that, they lose their damn minds. And this is what you're saying. So it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people were trying to tie this to economics. And even when 45 was first elected, you know, I was under the mindset that, you know, it's it's, you know, Americans vote with their pocketbook. You know, but this has nothing to do with money. And there are some examples over in Western Europe that shows you, you know, damn near no unemployment, close to no unemployment, everything that they could possibly want, some of the plushest social safety nets in the world, but yet they're still battling with far right white supremacists, alt right leanings. And even in this country Unemployment is at historic lows, so it has nothing to do with money, and white women are not off the hook. You enable this, and you enjoy your proximity to power and white privilege and entitlement. So um I really just need for you guys to be vigilant, keep an eye out. Can't even walk down the damn street now. Now you know, sitting here, sitting back, I mean I was always aware of my surroundings. You have to be. Especially if you're a woman. But now you have to be extra vigilant because you don't know if somebody's going to walk up behind you and shoot you in the fucking head just for standing there. And, yes, we have seen this happen before in the past. I'm not saying that we haven't seen this. What I'm saying, it wasn't right then and it's not right now. And there's nothing you can say to convince me otherwise. And I'm telling you right now, no, I do not forgive you. I do not forgive what's happening. We're going to have to confront this. I don't know what black and brown people are going to do, but I know what I'm doing to protect myself and those that I love. Our lives are in danger. And it's not going to get any better because you have these people, like I said, romanticizing the past, wanting to take things back to Hitler days, you know, in, in the case of the white supremacists, domestic terrorists in Florida, you have some whites that want to take these, you know, take it all the way back the days when Blacks were in slavery. Look, if some of these white people had their way, Black people would be back in slavery. Funny how we became lazy and became all of these things after we wouldn't work for free anymore. Well, we damn near work for free now, the way they have the wages set in this country. But I'm telling you, keep your eyes open. And understand that it may not be a white person that comes in that tries to kill you. Because you have other folks of color joining these organizations, spouting all of this misinformation, hatred. So you don't know who the fuck to trust anymore. And so these people are being indoctrinated daily, constantly, images on television, the things that we're hearing, the things that we're reading, the things that we've been educated on or miseducated on, right? Policies, structural, you know, things that are in place that have these people believing that this is their birthright. I posted an article talking about the myth of meritocracy. There was even a tweet in which one white guy Stated that he's afraid really to deal with the issues of white supremacy to study it and to deal with it and to confront it because he does not want to believe that he didn't achieve everything that he achieved on his own merits. He wants to believe that he actually achieved them on his own merits, so he doesn't want to confront and deal with white privilege, entitlement, and white supremacy because it would make him feel less than if he found out that he was given those promotions and those those positions and, and given things in life based solely on the fact that he was born white and with a penis. Let's not forget about that. So there are a lot of people out here in denial. But, um, you know, this this thing about how black people and brown people are supposed to automatically forgive white folks when they, you know, transgress against us. Fuck that. No. I don't forgive shit. And unfortunately, with some of the Christianity that's been taught, they've they've trained us to forgive them. They trained us to so-called take the high road. Gaslighted us into believing, you know, don't respond to hate with hate. Don't fall for the okie-doke. Y'all gonna wake up one day. In this article that I posted titled Dear Black People, Stop Forgiving Races, and it was written by Terrain Walker. Right? And so it got a lot of shares, you know, and I'm glad that a lot of people shared this out. But right here, um, he talks about how we have warped Christianity to think for this. Whenever European slavers and colonizers went, they brought the Bible and the rifle. The one supported the other, but of the two, Christianity filtered through the philosophy of white supremacy was the more dangerous weapon. In America, it was often used to indoctrinate enslaved and colonized people into accepting the daily brutality of their lives in exchange for a promised land and an afterlife, while their masters enjoyed paradise on earth at their expense. Above all, this perverse interpretation. Interpretation of Christianity taught slaves that to rebel against their masters was the same as rebelling against God, and that forgiving those who violated them was the highest of virtues. Take your virtue, take your virtues, and shove it up your ass. You know. And right here, he says that psychological weapon is still at work in our collective consciousness. But offering forgiveness without demanding accountability is a moral. Okay. Cowardice. It undercuts any justice victims might receive, and if you publicly forgive your attacker, so will the public, and your example will be used as this quote-unquote correct response to blatant racism to discredit the next person who doesn't agree with this. And he says, black people have to reject that spiritual miseducation. We have to let go of the idea that forgiveness is automatic and stop allowing ourselves to be coerced into suppressing our actions anger. Anger at injustice is valid. Demanding financial and legal retribution to punish races is valid too. Forgiveness is a precious resource that should be used sparingly and only to people who have proven themselves worthy of it. The people we wasted on have already forgiven themselves. We have a full range of emotions we deserve to explore is not wrong to reserve our empathy and love for those that show us love and our contempt for those that offers theirs to us. And it was another article someone published, I think it was on Puffington Post, and it was talking about um, forgiveness being used uh, being used to control Black people. And I forget the young woman's name who wrote it, and I didn't have it pulled up. But you can find that. I, posted, I think I posted that on my wall as well. And then there was another article, you know, white people owe us an apology, but we don't owe them forgiveness. And that's true. That should not be an automatic thing. This was written by Brandy Miller. And this is over on Huffington Post. So go out and read that as well. And um, even, even when the Teresa Klein lady apologized to that nine-year-old baby, she said, young man, I don't know your name, but I'm sorry. And and, and and Brandy made a very good point. First, he's not a young man. He's a child. And we've talked about how black children are not allowed to be children, how they're seen as being grown in adults through the white gaze. We have to stop that. And I know I'm guilty of saying young man, young woman, and all of that, you know, when I say it, it's out of courtesy, not because I see the babies as adults, you know, but I try to talk to them like adults because they're coming into their own. But when I talk to them like they're adults or young people growing up and coming to their own, I still understand that I'm talking to a child. And Brandy made another good point here. She didn't, this woman didn't even bother to learn his name and didn't care to learn his name. And also it's not an apology. You know, she's not acknowledging the humiliation and trauma that she caused this young man. His name is Jeremiah. Jeremiah Harvey. You know, and then there's a quote here, we are more obsessed with black forgiveness than we are with white sin. And so this is a really good article. You know, I'll read this part here. In the United States, there is a historical expectation that the wrongdoing of white people toward people of color needs the closure of forgiveness, a forgiveness that closes the loop of a situation in order to allow the oppressor or perpetrator to move on. But that isn't what real forgiveness is about. In forgiving, a person frees themselves of the poison of hatred and resentment and chooses to move on to live in the present moment. This doesn't mean, however, that wrongdoers are absolved of the consequences of their actions. It means that in light of their actions, the forgiver is choosing to let go for their own life and health. Forgiveness doesn't require getting an actual apology or an invitation to be absolved or reconciled, and apologies are only first steps The acknowledgement of wrong by itself isn't a writing of wrong. This is why apologies like Cornerstone Carolines are cheap. They don't write wrongs, but rather invite the notion of free forgiveness in order for her to move on. In the call to forgive, perpetual incidents of white people's racism, white people are not actually seeking forgiveness, but exemption from the impacts of their racism or confronting the systemic factors that contribute to racism. So go out, go and read this. Go and read this. Um, There was another article that I put out, and the title of it is Dear Liberal White Women. And this was written by Sonny Matthews, a black feminist co-founder of Dimension of Isms. And this is actually a really, really, really good article. And I posted this as well. If you want something good to read. So with that, I'm going to close it out. Almost got through the whole two hours. We got hour, 45 minutes in. So I'm pretty happy with that because I am a little tired today. But I just wanted to make sure we talked about these things and got it out there. But yeah, Black community, Black church, be vigilant. Oh, for those of you that are wondering what "slipping Into Darkness is, that comes from an old song by War. That's the title of the song, "Slipping Into Darkness. And with that song, it's, it's talking about how easily... A person can kind of just slip into another world, you know, about how you can have all of these things happening to you and you can lose sight of reality. And and just go out, just, just look it up, go and read the lyrics to the song and you'll get a better idea. And, you know, with here I'm just talking about how some of these white people are losing their damn minds you know the targeted attacks all of that it has to stop and it's at the point where we're going to have to find ways to fight back and there are a number of ways that we can fight back you know so I'm not advocating necessarily civil disobedience that's not what I'm saying but we need to have more conversations about this So anyway, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we're going to be pushing out. We're filming a documentary next year. If you want to make donations towards the documentary, towards what we're doing over here, you can do paypal.me slash blackfreethinkers. Again, paypal.me slash blackfreethinkers, spelled all the way out with an S at the end, so B-L-A-C-K-F-R-E-E-T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S. Again, paypal.me slash B-L-A-C-K-F-R-E-E, t-h-i-n-k-e-r-s or if you want to send me some uh, donation via cash me dollar sign black fruit thinkers all spelled out with an s at the end so dollar sign b-l-a-c-k-f-r-e-e-t-h-i-n-k-e-r-s we received a couple of donations thank you very kindly for your donations thank you very kindly for your emails and notes of encouragement support, motivation. I thank you. I appreciate each and every last one of you. (sighs) Be vigilant. Be vigilant. Know your surroundings. Know who's around. Pay attention. Protect each other. Protect yourselves. So all right. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, you guys. Take care. See you next week.